Welcome to our fourth podcast. Today we're going to explore building risk and compliance capability to meet regulatory expectations. I'm Richard Evans, the Principal Consultant for RGCS, a niche consultancy focused on the design and development of highly effective learning, which builds risk and compliance capability. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Naomi Burley, the CEO of the GRC Institute, a long-term colleague and very respected and skilled leader in the field of risk and compliance. Naomi, would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, after that fabulous introduction, how am I yeah. going to follow that up? <laughs> um, well, look, I'm the CEO of the GRC Institute. Uh, our members are compliance and risk professionals across all industries in Australia and New Zealand and a smattering around the globe as well. Um, and uh, I guess I've worked for the GRC Institute for many years but most recently as CEO. So I've sort of seen it from all kinds of perspectives over the years. Um, and, and I'm still there because there's ongoing challenges in this field and our members are great. I really Fan- enjoy working with them. Fantastic. It's good that you love the members because it's all about the membership. <laughs> Absolutely. Love it. So my first question then for you, Naomi, is why did you choose career in risk and compliance? Well, it's a funny story, and Calvert Duffy can retell this story as well because he yeah. was on my interview panel when I first applied for the job. So, um, I had been actually working as a photographer in advertising. Oh, and, wow. um, yeah, and what I was finding that I was actually enjoying more than the photography part because advertising photography is a particular beast um, was the business development part. So I thought, well, I'd like to work for something else. I had my wish list of things. I wanted to work for a not-for-profit. I wanted to make sure I was making a difference, yada, yada, yada. Then the ad came in and I thought, compliance, that sounds like it does something meaningful. Mm-hmm. That's really good. So yeah. rocked on up to the rocked on up to the interview and Calvert asked me the tricky question. He said, well, what do you think compliance actually is? And I must have given a really good answer because I got the job. Yeah. And um, and ever since then, I, I, you know, it's been one of those things. It fulfilled its promise. It's been uh, there are continual challenges. It's that fabulous um, nuance between building business objectives and doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, it's meaningful. It's never boring. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it it fulfilled on my wish list for um for a career yeah fantastic one of the things that appeals to me of the space is that it's not easy to do either mm. it's the challenge and then how smart the people are you work with you know yep. the, the the actual you referred to the members before but I've always found working with people in this space they really know their stuff and they're yes. smart people and it makes and they keep you on point as well that's what yes that's what's a, they yeah, do yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's turn to our topic for today, building risk and compliance capability to meet regulatory expectations. I had the pleasure of joining you um, just a couple of weeks ago at the 2022 GRC Institute Conference, and we heard from a number of our regulators, ASIC, APRA, Austrac, just to name a few. So my question is, what do you think were the themes raised from a capability um, perspective? Look, I think the regulatory perspective and expectations over the time I've worked for GRCI has made an immense jump. And, you know, some of that was kickstarted by things like the Royal Commission, but I think the regulators themselves have built their own capability. Um, And so I think it's now where um, 
the maturity level of compliance programs, the bar has been lifted exponentially by the regulators and um, and they've met that challenge of dealing with principles-based regulation themselves and understanding the market and providing guidance. So I think from a capability perspective, we're now stepping into that space where, okay, you've better down a normal framework. How are you going to make that better? How are you going to engage technology intelligently? How are you going to interact with AI and machine yeah. learning if that's where you're going to go? And then bringing in all your wish lists. So that that can we, should we question, which every single regulator mentioned, stepping into that should we phase, having a real cultural impact within your organisation as well. Fantastic. And and you've touched on that piece around that principle-based approach. And they and it was really interesting because when you listen to what they were saying at the time, they were saying it's about the principle, it's not about the letter of the law. It's mm-hmm. about and, and you touched on it as well from a can we, should we perspective. From a capability perspective, how do you think we can best pivot to try to meet that principle-based approach that they have in mind. Have you got any thoughts on that, Naomi? Because it is a challenge because from a capability point of view, particularly you often think of capability frameworks and one of the key things around capability is having anchor points. What are we teaching to and how do we measure that we've taught it and have we demonstrated, you know, the ROI on investment? Have we demonstrated when you've had this language of principle how do you anchor it to a principle? Have you had any thoughts on that's that? That's right, because there's, there's no there's no endpoint to yes. how well you could do that. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and it and it's shifted from the days of you could trot off to your lawyer, get your little advice, and go. That's the marker we need to meet. Now, with principle based regulation, that's right. The the regulators can shift their expertise, the same yes. as they're hoping to bring organisations along with them. So, I think. You know, in terms of capability for compliance professionals, it is around getting to know the regulator, getting to have an understanding of what the underlying issue and problem is they're trying to solve and working towards that rather than looking at that line of legislation or guidance or whatever it might be and freaking out about that particular line. Stepping back and being able to be strategic around, right, well, we understand what they're trying to achieve. We understand how that might work with our business and then arriving at solutions within that and using using the contribution from the business area as well. So it's also doing that shift where second-line compliance and risk don't have to solve all the problems themselves anymore and probably shouldn't be doing that in isolation. Um, so there's, there's, there's all of that uh, learning that you need to do as a, as a second-line compliance person. And then I think overlaying with that is, um, being able to utilise technology and data and the people in the business so that you can spend that time being thematic, being strategic, instead of getting bogged down in every single line. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, and that's a challenge on a personal level because that can also be exhausting as well as challenging, it can be yeah. exhausting. So what I'm hearing there is you're talking about being able to demonstrate materially that you're doing your best efforts, you're yeah. thinking about it holistically, and you're you're looking at it from the principle, and then in in the application, you're demonstrating that you you're trying your best as an organisation yep. and as an individual to apply. Yeah, because you, you can't set yeah. a you can't set a compliance KPI yeah. of we yeah. won't break the law because it's yeah. principles based. 
Yeah, that's right. You, you don't know where the line actually is. So you have to set yourself a proactive KPI around. We understand what they're trying to do is to get yeah. you to focus on um, outcomes for the customer as well yeah. as obviously making a profit. So yeah. then you have to create a KPI around that. And that's the goal you work towards achieving. Um, so it does allow you to embed it in the business strategy as well, more so than than prescriptive regulation does. <clears throat> but you have to shift your thinking to that. Yeah, and it is, it's not easy. That's the thing. Mm. Absolutely. So one of the other things that was, I'll move on to my next question then around accountability and assurance featured strongly in this year's conference with a particular reference being made to the three lines of accountability. Um, If we focus initially on that first line, and we've been touching on that already, what do you believe the biggest challenges are being faced by businesses from a risk and compliance perspective at that first line of accountability? I think it is, I think it's a big ask to expect them to understand the complexity of principles-based regulation themselves and make active decisions with all of that in mind, you know, and yeah. that second line is to help them with that. So I yeah. think I think there's a lot of that. I think if we're talking about boards and senior management being first line as well, because they have this accountability, it's a very scary prospect when it's such a big piece of work and, and it's quite technical, you know, if you, even if you're looking at just privacy or anti-money laundering, that's that's incredibly technical when you get down to it. Um, and there's a lot of unknown unknowns for them. So I think their, their real challenge is having that level of confidence that they can do their job and meet those obligations and not have to spend all their time time doing compliance activities. I think there is still a mythology in line one that it's a Band-Aid on that you add on with. They're separate activities from their normal business activities. So building a capability where they can think about integrating uh, or changing the way they do things to be compliant simultaneously, we do it, is um, is uh, probably a challenge for them, especially change. Um, yeah, so they're already facing lots of change and then and then they'll have needing to change the way they do uh, business activities to be compliant is another challenge for them. So, poor old first line, they've got a lot on. Yeah. <laughs> no, they sure do. No, I was getting exhausted just hearing about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I'm being the practitioner that I am, I'm going to ask you the question where do you think the first line should start? Where do you think, given all this change, given all this, where do you think if you were to choose a starting point, where would be the best? starting point if you're beginning that journey could you could you pick a line in the sand if you you had to choose i think it i think it's different for your role so the more senior you are the more probably should be sitting in on briefings around what regulatory priorities getting a feel for that and then talking through with second line how that interacts with the strategy decisions you want to make um whereas if you are you know somewhere else in the organization a bit more operational um, but you still need to think about those. I think where they probably need to start is getting quite role specific. Well, what do I need to change? Is there something else I need to do? Yeah. Um, I think uh, it also requires everybody in the organisation to actually enhance their um, technology and their critical 
problem-solving skills. Mm. So if you were to turn around from second line compliance and turn to the business and go, right, well, it's your business, you know what it's doing, think of a way to manage this risk within the way you do operations or do we need to change something? That's a big ask when they might just be turning up to work to do as they're told. That's a big uplift for them. What about the thoughts? Because often heat maps can provide good indications of your pain points. And what you're touching on there, which is really nice, you're talking about the individual role, what people are doing. And so where the heat map might point to them, it might not be relevant to them. They might be working in that pain point, if you like. There might be a a certain area on AML issues and things like that, but they may not be an AML specialist, if you like, in that space. So do you think heat maps can provide some guidance for an organisation overall of a starting point at that front line? They can, yeah. Look, you've definitely got to be able to set your priorities. So if the heat map's the tool you want to use to identify where you need to throw your training budget because you're going to need major uplift in a short period of time, definitely. Yeah, go for it there. Yeah, yeah. And... and, uh, You've definitely got to be able to set your priorities somehow. You're right, which you tackle all of the problems and you'll you'll overwhelm everyone, including yourselves, if you're yeah. trying to solve solve yeah. everything. And I think I think that's the biggest <laughs> thing with learning, particularly um and capability. Often I'm seeing it in ESG at the moment. ESG is evolving at the moment, and I've just done a piece, a small piece of work around a capability framework and trying to set the capabilities when the flight's in motion, if you like, yeah. is really challenging. Because you're yep. building while it's in flight. And and I'm, my guidance on that was let's just calm down a little and wait yep. until things stabilise a bit before you start looking at how do you uplift that capability. Turning now to that second line, if you like, that second line of accountability, what do you think the biggest challenges are from a risk and compliance capability perspective for those <laughs> in that second line? Big there's, question, big there's question, lots, I know. There's lots yeah. and lots. It's yeah. getting people... Working into the second line, it's mm-hmm. getting more people who are second line compliance and risk people and have yep. that shift in thinking so they yep. understand what their job is versus other people. Um, so, you know, there's some there's some one-on-one capability there because we need more people in the profession. But I think if you've been in the profession for a while, the next step is the data, technology, cyber, your analytics, and, yep. again, an uplifting critical problem solving. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> There's that, there's, yeah, being able to step back and the value then in second line can quite often be in being able to do a thematic review. So, again, like like line one, you've got to prioritise. So in improving your skills and being able to set your priorities is definitely one area yeah. where you can obtain a lot of value and be able to then think strategically as well. So that's definitely one one little smattering of areas, but I think it's, it's an ongoing learning. There's always regulatory change. But I think once you're in the rhythm of that and you understand how the regulators work and uh, what they mean by certain things and what their end objectives are, then I think yep. you're, you are a long way there to anticipating things and being able to be preemptive and set priorities. It's all new to you, then you are going to feel overwhelmed and it will be really difficult for you to tell uh, which regulator means business which regulator means think about this now and be planning because we're going to come back to you in a couple of years and ask Mm -hmm. some really pointy questions. That's really, really um, good advice. And I'm just wondering, similar to the previous question that I asked asked you, where where do you think would be the first starting point? You're talking about the thematics, getting your priorities right. 
Is there any any other things that you could add for where to start for those people in the second line, do you think? In terms of building capability or yeah, in terms of yeah, getting in, to... In, yeah. in, in, in terms of that capability uplift. I, I think I think stepping back and being really honest and doing a bit of a, you know, your, your own self-learning analysis. I think that people in the second line have enough opportunity to do that. You know, we've, we've talked about this heaps. Yeah. We talk about what courses will we provide for members yeah. and we provide both. You can come and listen about regulatory updates, but you can also enhance your skills in these areas yeah. and we keep pushing particular, particular courses because I really believe that that's where a lot of members need yeah. uplift. You have members come and ask for things for their staff. Um, so I think that, um, but given that they're really, really busy, I think the first important thing to do is to step back and be honest about the challenges you're facing. You might yeah. get yourself a bit of a mentor who can help you be honest with yourself yeah. or give yeah. some reflection on how they shifted things um, and break down where you are not feeling confident yeah. around giving advice to line yeah. one. It's interesting. It's in, That's a really interesting example that you've used because the the second line people that I've worked with throughout the years, the ones that are fantastic are the ones that understand the business and can have mm. that dialogue with the business and they can actually synthesise the requirements and everything else and explain yep. what those requirements are. Yeah, yep. so that's a really yep. nice example. So now I'd like to do, now, now I'd like to turn to one of the topics that was really topical at, at the conference, um, the subject of ESG. Are you finding that the demands of environmental change and social responsibility are changing the demands placed on risk and compliance professionals? It depends which jurisdiction you're in. So already in in Ireland and the UK, they are starting to regulate around ESG. But I think there's a bit of a lag here. I think it's currently sitting in the, oh, look at all the business opportunities that are in the E. Um, we'll think about the S and the G later on. So I think that very, very soon there will be organisations turning around and recognising that ESG is a commitment as well as an opportunity Um, and that a compliance and risk framework is something that helps you execute on your commitments. So uh, I think I think once we get to a certain phase, there will be there will be a call in for expertise around this because there is going to need to be training. There's going yeah. to need to be yeah. other support policies and procedures mm-hmm. to make sure that your ESG is actually executed throughout the business. It's not a separate activity. At the moment, I think it's new. Some organisations are treating it like they once treated the compliance activity. It's a little bit of a separate thing we do later or over here. And it's not really integrated into the business. I think that consumers and regulators will demand that it is consistent. So you don't get to just apply the E to your green products, especially if the international standards for compliance change or, or anything like that, sorry, for, compl- for climate change, um, are brought in by the regulators and they go, you know what, this is a really good way of measuring this and we want you to express this. Then that will apply across all products, not just your products that you've labelled green. So I think I think that I think that compliance professionals should prepare. I think they should be inserting themselves in a whole lot of conversations now. I think they should be thinking proactively about how the S folds into that yeah. because there'll be questions yeah. around that. And I know that you know the the, the efforts around modern slavery and um, and whistleblowing were conducted as kind of separate activities yeah. that everybody had to meet a deadline, but they are meant to be folded into your. Yeah. 
considered business decisions the whole way mm. along. And there are other social aspects around the environmental as well. Um, on the on the recent IFCA conference call, yeah. Yeah. really interesting speaker talking about how they actually work together. Yeah. So it's all very well to say you've got the E ticked off if that means you are dumping waste in a third world country and not mm-hmm. thinking about the social impact. So I think compliance people will be brought in for their advice and expert opinions and to fold it into the compliance framework eventually by the yeah. by the more mature, smarter organisations who figured out actually why don't we just combine everything and not have it as a separate activity. Yeah, okay. it, ma- it makes sense because some of those things like governance and, as you say, modern slavery, when you think of AML and things like that, it they're very they're very similar yep. disciplines in in their way they're applied and that sort of stuff you know terrorist financing and all that sort of stuff they they're quite similar so they're not they they're they're very close so I, I tend to agree I think it will be folded in and you've already talked about that starting point from a capability point of view you've already touched yeah. on it you know yeah. get get involved in the conversation early that's right insert yourself just, in because it's yeah. a, it's a nonsense to have them running a separate activities and this has been the complaint about compliance that yeah. they feel like it was an add-on activity and it's not it can be folded into risk framework we've seen that it can yeah. be and all of these ac- other activities can yeah. also be folded into that and then you report on how, you know, you then do an intelligent yeah. reporting and pull out that data and then demonstrate how that fulfills your ESG um, yeah. commitments. Yeah, 100%. Wow, we've covered a lot of territory <laughs> today, Mayo. I mean, it's always a pleasure talking to you. And is there anything else you'd like to share with us today in regards to trends of risk and compliance training capability? Um, look, I think I've really covered it and I've emphasised it a lot with members and and we're definitely getting the feedback from our members that are international as well yeah. is that that analytical um, data analysis, critical problem-solving skill set is one that is growing in demand. I've seen some compliance teams bring in data analyst experts to guide them through that process, but we all know that in smaller organisations it's not possible to add to your team that way so it might mean that those people who are choosing to work in small to medium enterprises Mm -hmm. and enjoy that work will need to personally uplift their capability okay i think that i we're all dealing with the sort of sleeping um giant that we've we've been sort of ringing alarm bells about for a couple of years but i think uh optus and the the Medibank examples have really pushed to the fore that cyber aspect in a variety of ways, you know, in terms of reputational damage um, as well. You you know, you, you've got to be across having conversations with your IT as well yeah. to meet your obligations in terms of protecting data. But that flows into uh, the data you use to make business decisions. It flows into whether there are other criminal actors who then capitalise on that and damage your brand Mm-hmm. By association, by sent, by using its, you know, the whole Australia Post fake emails yeah. through to the ATO, everybody sending sending malware things. Uh, so it can be an implication across that. So you need to have plans in place for dealing with that, even when they're fake, even when yeah. it's not a real cyber incident. So I think that there's a little bit of capability there. I think, as we said before, that principles based regulation, I. I um, think there are still some members who don't spend a lot of time engaging with their regulators and 
and using their their relationship building skills to understand what the end objectives are and reading yeah. between the lines. They're still sort of, you know, setting up uh, calculable pram- parameters because that's how they want to calculate their, their regulatory risk um, as opposed to thinking about setting their own parameters like we talked about before, set your own KPI about yeah. what you want to achieve. So I think there's a little bit of strategic thinking in there, yeah. but that, that will improve as members sort of come through the seniority of compliance. I think the, the experience within compliance and risk helps you think strategically because that's you've got to tackle really big problems, set priorities really quickly. I think that that strengthens that muscle all the time. 100%. And that whole piece of data and data <laughs> analytics is is becoming a bit of a hero lately. Yep. It's being talked about a lot. Yes. And, and it's that, yeah, it comes back to materiality, right? Yep. And being able to look and demonstrate that you are anchoring back to the principles <laughs> well, that the regulators are talking about. That's yeah. it. I mean, once yeah. upon a time you... Um, conduct your sort of your compliance risk assessment and you had no data to estimate your likelihood of an issue but now you do now surely you have got some and we talked about this kind of sophisticated um search for data and getting creative um you know relying on surveys that you send out to staff members to rate how they think they're going you know that's really old-fashioned approach it might be what you all you feel is capable it's but you know i regard that as a starting point and yeah. then you're looking for the murmurs in that data. We might be able to achieve one day the nirvana of, you know, actually identifying the yeah. near misses. I mean, yeah. that'd be amazing. It'd be awesome, <laughs> talked, wouldn't it? <laughs> we've Preventative. talked about it so long. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Using your lag data to do something <laughs> yeah, meaningful with it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, that draws us to the end of this podcast. Thank you for joining me today, Naomi. You've certainly provided some valuable and useful insights. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. So thanks so much. And thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. I hope you found this session valuable. Please feel free to sign up and subscribe to receive more insights and the latest news from RGCS. And don't hesitate to contact me if you'd like to discuss any learning needs you may have. Until next time, stay well and keep learning.